In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy, Lord bless us, amen. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and forever, unto the ages of all ages, amen. O Lord, make us worthy to pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us give thanks to the beneficent and merciful God, the Father of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, for he has covered us, helped us, guarded us, accepted us to himself, spared us, supported us, and has brought us to this hour. Let us also ask him, the Lord our God, the Pantocrator, to guard us in all peace this holy day and all the days of our life. O Master, Lord God, the Pantocrator, the Father of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for everything concerning everything and in everything. For you have covered us, helped us, guarded us, accepted us to yourself, spared us, supported us, and have brought us to this hour. Therefore, we ask and entreat your goodness, O lover of mankind, grant us to complete this holy day and all the days of our life in all peace with your fear, all envy, all temptation, all the work of Satan, the counsel of wicked men, and the rising up of enemies hidden and manifest. Take them away from us and from all your people and from this your holy place. But those things which are good and profitable do provide for us. For it is you have given us the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and upon all the power of the enemy, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through the grace, compassion, and love of mankind of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, through whom the glory, the honor, the dominion, and the worship are due unto you, with him and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who is of one essence with you, now and at all times, and to the ages of all ages. Amen. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your great mercy, and according to the multitude of your compassions, blot out my iniquity. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my iniquity, and my sin is at all times before me. Against you only I have sinned and done evil before you, that you might be just in your sayings and might overcome when you are judged. For behold, I was conceived in iniquities, and in sins my mother conceived me. For behold, you have loved the truth. You have manifested to me the hidden and unrevealed things of your wisdom. You shall sprinkle me with your hyssop, and I shall be purified. You shall wash me, and I shall be made whiter than snow. You shall make me to hear gladness and joy. The humble bones shall rejoice. Turn away your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in my inward parts. Do not cast me away from your face, and do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. Give me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me in the directing spirit. Then I shall teach the transgressors your ways, and the ungodly men shall turn to you. Deliver me from blood, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall rejoice in your righteousness. O Lord, you shall open my lips, and my mouth shall declare your praise. For if you desired sacrifice, I would have given it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit. A broken and humbled heart God shall not despise. Do good, O Lord, and your good pleasure design, and let the walls of Jerusalem be built. Then you shall be pleased with sacrifices of righteousness, offering and burnt sacrifices. Then they shall offer calves upon your altar. Alleluia. Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy, the sunset prayer, the blessed day we offer to Christ our King and our God, beseeching him to forgive us our many sins from the Psalms of our Father David, the prophet and the King. May his blessings be with us all. Amen. I lifted up my eyes to the mountains from where my help shall come. My help shall come from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved and your keeper will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall not slumber nor sleep. The Lord shall keep you. The Lord shall cast a shelter upon your right hand. The sun shall not burn you by day, neither the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from every evil. The Lord shall keep your soul. The Lord shall keep your coming in and your going out from this time and forever. Alleluia. 
I was glad for those who said to me, We will go into the house of the Lord. Our feet stood in the courts of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which is built as a city that is closely compacted together. For there the tribes went up, the tribes of the Lord, as a testimony for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones for judgment, even thrones for the house of David. As for the things which are for the peace of Jerusalem and for the prosperity to those who love you, let peace be within your strength and prosperity in your heavy towers. For the sake of my brethren and my companions, I have indeed spoken peace concerning you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I have diligently sought good things for you. Alleluia. Glory be to our God, holy, 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 the gospel. According to our teacher, St. Luke, may his blessings be with us all. Amen. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they requested him concerning her. And it stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all, th all those who had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out, saying, You are Christ the Son of God. And he rebuked them, and did not allow them to speak. For the news that he was a Christ. Glory be to God forever. Amen. May the sayings of God be fulfilled in peace. Worship you, Christ, with your good Father and the Holy Spirit. For you have come and saved us. Have mercy on us. If the righteous one is uh, scarcely saved, where shall the sinner appear? The burden and the heat of the day, and the man trier because of the weakness of my humanity. But, O merciful God, count on me with with the fellows of the eleventh hour, for behold, in iniquities I, w I was conceived, and in the sinners my mother bore me. Therefore I do not dare to lift up my eyes to heaven, but rather I rely on abundance of your mercy and love of mankind, crying out and saying, God, forgive me, a sinner, and have mercy on me. Hasten, O Savior, to open me in the fatherly bosoms, for I wasted my life in pleasures and lustings, and for the, and the day that has passed by me and vanished. Therefore, now I rely on the richness of your never-ending compassion. So then, do not forsake a submissive heart which is need of your mercy. For until you cry, O Lord, humbly, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me as one of your hired servants. Every iniquity I did with produce and activity, for and every sin I committed with eagerness and intelligence and of all torment and judgment i am worthy therefore prepare me for the ways of repentance O lady the virgin for you i appear and through i seek intercession and upon you i call to help me least i might be put to shame and when my soul departs my body attend to me and defeat the conspiracy of enemies and shall I the gates of hate least lest they might swallow my soul oh you blameless bride of the true bridegroom <laughs> 
O Lord, hear us, have mercy on us, and forgive us our many sins. Amen. Kiri eleison, kiri eleison, kiri eleison. 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 Holy, holy, holy Lord of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of your glory and honor. Have mercy on us, O God, the Father, the Pantocrator, O Holy Trinity. Have mercy on us, O Lord God of hosts, be with us. For we have no helper in our hardships and tribulations but you. Absolve, forgive, and remit, O God, our transgressions, those that you have committed willingly, and those that you have committed unwillingly, those that you have committed knowingly, and those that you have committed unknowingly, the hidden and the manifest, O Lord, forgive us for the sake of your holy name, which is called upon us. Let it be according to your mercy, O Lord, and not according to our sins. Make us worthy to pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. We thank you, our compassionate King, for you have granted us the past this day in peace and brought us to the evening thankfully and made us worthy to behold daylight until evening. O God, accept our glorification which is offered now and save us from the trickeries of the adversary and abolish all the snares which are set against us. Grant us in this coming night peace without pain or anxiety or unrest or illusion so that we may pass it in peace and chastity and rise up for praises and prayers. And thus at all times and everywhere we glorify your holy name in everything together with the Father who is incomprehensible and without beginning and the Holy Spirit, the life giver who is in one essence with you now and at all times unto the ages of all ages. Amen. Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy, the blessed prayer of retiring we offer to Christ our King and our God, beseeching him to forgive us our many sins from the Psalms of our Father David the prophet and the King. May his blessings be with us all. Amen. Praise the Lord, for a psalm is good. Let praise be sweet unto our God. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He will gather together the dispersed of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up all their fractures. He numbers the multitudes of stars and calls them all by names. Great is the Lord and great is his strength. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the meek but brings sinners down to the ground. Begin the song to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises to our God on the harp. He who covers the heaven with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who causes grass to spring up on the mountains and green herb for the service of men, who gives food to the cattle and to the young ravens that call upon him. He will not take pleasure in the strength of a horse, nor will he be well pleased with the legs of man. The Lord will take pleasure in those who fear him and in those who hope in his mercy. Alleluia. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes your borders peaceful and fills you with the fatness of wheat. He sends his word to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the mist like ashes. He casts out his eyes like morsels. Who will be able to stand before his frost? He will send out his word and melt them. His wind will blow and the water shall flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his ordinances and judgments to Israel. He has not done so with every nation, and he has not revealed to them his judgments. Alleluia. 
Glory be to our God, holy, 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 the gospel, according to our teacher, St. Luke. May his blessings be with us, holy man. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen Christ the Lord. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word from my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to God forever. Amen. May the sayings of God be fulfilled in peace. Worship you, Christ, with your good Father and the Holy Spirit. If you have come and saved us, have mercy on us. Behold, I'm about to stand before the judge, judge, terrified and trembling because of my many sins. For a life spent in pleasures, there is condemnation. But repent, all my soul, so long as you dwell on this earth, for inside the grave dust did not praise. And in death no one remembers, neither in Hades does anyone give thanks. Therefore arise from the slumber of laziness and entreat the Savior, repenting and saying, God have mercy on me and save me. If life were everlasting in this world, ever existing, you have an excuse, O my soul. But if your wicked deeds and ugly evils were exposed before the just judge, what answer would you give while you're lying on the bed of sins and negligent and disciplining the flesh? O Christ our God, before your awesome seat of judgment, I am terrified, and before your council of judgment, I submit. And from the delight of your divine radiance, I tremble, I, the wretched and defiled, who lies on my bed, negligent in my life. But I take example of the public and beating my chest, saying, Go, God, forgive me and have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Virgin, overshadow your servant with your instant help and keep the ways of evil thoughts away from me. And raising my ailing soul for prayer and vigil for it has gone into a deep sleep. For you are capable, compassionate, helpful mother, that bear the fountain of life, my King and my God, Jesus Christ, my hope. Graciously accord, O Lord, to keep us this night without sin. Blessed are you, O Lord, God of our fathers, and exceedingly blessed and glorified be your name forever. Amen. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us according to our hope in you. For the eyes of everyone wait upon you, for you give them their food in due season. Hear us, O God, our Savior, the hope of all the regions of the earth. And you, O Lord, keep us safe from this generation and forever. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Blessed are you, O Lord, make me to understand your commandments. Blessed are you, O Lord, enlighten me with your righteousness. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Despise not, O Lord, the works of your hands. You have been my refuge from generation to generation. I asked the Lord and said, Have mercy on me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. Lord, I have fled unto you. Save me and teach me to do your will. For you are my God, and with you is the fountain of life. In your light shall we see light. Let your mercy come unto those who know you, and your righteousness unto the upright in heart. To you belongs blessing, to you belongs praise, to you belongs glory. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing from the beginning, now and forever and ever. Amen. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises unto your name, O Most High, to show forth your mercy every morning and your righteousness every night. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, who was born of the Virgin, have mercy upon us. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, who was crucified for us, have mercy upon us. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, who rose from the dead and ascended to the heavens, have mercy upon us. Glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and ever unto the ages of the ages. Amen. O Holy Trinity, have mercy on us. O Holy Trinity, have mercy on us. O Holy Trinity, have mercy on us. O Lord, forgive us our sins. O Lord, forgive us our iniquities. O Lord, forgive us our trespasses. O Lord, visit the sick of your people, heal them for the sake of your holy name. Our fathers and brethren who have fallen asleep, O Lord, repose their souls. O you are without sin, Lord, have mercy on us. O you are without sin, Lord, help us and receive our supplications. For yours is the glory, the dominion, and triple holiness. Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, bless us, amen. 
Make us worthy to pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Hail to you, we ask you, a saint full of glory, the ever-version, the Theotokos, the mother of Christ. Lift up our prayers unto your beloved Son, that he may forgive us our sins. Hail to the Holy Virgin, who has brought forth unto us the true light, Christ our God. Ask the Lord on our behalf, that he may have mercy on our souls and forgive us our sins. O Virgin Mary, the Holy Theotokos, the faithful advocate for all mankind, intercede on our behalf before Christ, whom you bore, that he may forgive us our sins. Hail to you, O Virgin, the right and true Queen. Hail to the pride of our race, who bore to us, Emmanuel. We ask you to remember us, O our faithful advocate, before our Lord Jesus Christ, that he may forgive us our sins. We exalt you, the mother of the true light. We glorify you, O Saint the Theotokos, for you have brought forth unto us the Savior of the whole world. He came and saved our souls. Glory be to our Master, our King, Christ, the pride of the apostles, the crown of the martyrs, the joy of the righteous, the firmness of the churches, the forgiveness of sins. We proclaim the Holy Trinity and one Godhead. We worship him, we glorify him. Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, bless us, amen. We believe in one God, God the Father, the Pantocrator, creator of heaven and earth and of all things seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not created, of one essence with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary, and became man, and he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures ascended to the heavens he sits at the right hand of his father and he is coming again in his glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we confess one baptism for the mission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. Ah, 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 Amen. O oh Lord, hear us, have mercy on us, and forgive us our many sins. Amen. Holy, holy, holy Lord of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of your glory and honor. Have mercy on us, O God, the Father, the Bonsokrator. O Holy Trinity, have mercy on us, O Lord God of hosts, be with us, for we have no help in our hardships and tribulations but you. Absolve, forgive, and remit, O God, our transgressions, those that you have committed willingly, and those that you have committed unwillingly, those that you have committed knowingly, and those that you have committed unknowingly the hidden and the manifest. O Lord, forgive us for the sake of your holy name which is called upon us. Let it be according to your mercy, O Lord, and not according to our sins. Make us worthy to pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 
Lord, all our sins which we committed against you in this day, whether in deeds or in words or in thoughts or through all senses. Please remit and forgive us for the sake of your holy name, as you are a good and lover of mankind. God grant us a peaceful night and a sleep free from all anxiety, and send us an angel of peace to protect us from every evil and every affliction and every temptation of the enemy. Through the grace, compassion, and love of mankind of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom is due with you and with the Holy Spirit, the life-giver who is of one essence with you, all glory, honor, and dominion, now and forever unto the ages of all ages. Amen. Have mercy on us, O God, and have mercy on us, who at all times and in every hour in heaven and on earth is worshipped and glorified. Christ our God, the good, the long-suffering, the abundant in mercy, and the great in compassion, who loves the righteous and has mercy on the sinners of whom I am chief, who does not wish the death of the sinner, but rather that he returns and lives, who calls all to salvation for the promise of the good things to come. Lord, receive from us our prayers in this hour and in every hour. And guide us to fulfill your commandments, sanctify our spirits, cleanse our bodies, conduct our thoughts, purify our intentions, heal our diseases, forgive our sins, deliver us from every evil, grief, and distress of heart. Surround us by your holy angels, that by their camp we may be guarded and guided, and attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of imperceptible and infinite glory. For you are blessed forever. Amen. O Lord, make us worthy to pray thankfully our Father who art in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, last time we uh, had discussed uh, Exodus chapter 20. We had, we're, we're, we're reading through Exodus chapter 20. What is uh, the famous thing Exodus chapter 20 is known for? Always remember Exodus chapter 20. It's like one of the most important chapters in the Bible. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Good. Um, and then again, there's another in Deuteronomy, um, a, a, a retelling again of the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy. The first time that it's uh, said is in Exodus chapter 20. Um, we had gone through um, some of the commandments. I think we, got, we finished through the first four commandments, and we were then going to continue the remaining six commandments um, in, in chapter 20. So I'm just going to read quickly from the beginning of the chapter, um, and then we will... Um, we will go into more detail. If you remember also, I had said that we know that there is Ten Commandments, okay? Um, but different Christian denominations, they will number the commandments differently. If you remember, we spoke about this. So, for instance, the Jew in the, the, the Jewish tradition, in the Talmud, um, the, the very first commandment is, I am the Lord thy God, okay? Just, I am the Lord thy God is considered to be the first commandment in the Jewish tradition. In our tradition... Um, we are the second column, okay? In our tradition, uh, we consider I am the Lord thy God to be part of the first commandment, okay? So not a separate commandment in itself. Um, and you can see some of the variations between us and the Catholic Church. Um, really, the, the, there's two differences. Um, the first difference is that in the Catholic Church, they consider what we consider to be the first two commandments, they consider them as one commandment, right? So the commandment of have no other gods before me and the commandment of make no graven image, these two commandments that we consider to be two commandments, they consider to be one commandment, the first commandment, okay? So then you might ask, well, then how is it then that they have 10 commandments in the Catholic Church and not nine commandments, okay? Well, the answer is we find it at the very bottom. So at the very bottom, um, the, the commandment about coveting, about do not covet, right? So the commandment says, do not cover your neighbor's house or his slaves or his animals or anything of your neighbor, including his wife. Okay. So in the Catholic Church, they take do not covet your neighbor's wife as being a separate commandment by itself, which is considered the ninth commandment. And then do not covet everything else is considered to be the tenth commandment. Yes. One thing I heard about the Jewish tradition is that they don't call it the Ten Commandments, they call it the Ten state, uh, Statements. Ten Statements, yeah. There's many names, actually. It could be called the Decalogue, it could be called the Words of the Covenant, it could be called the Covenant. Like, there's many different, uh, there's, there's many different uh, terminology that can be used to describe the Ten Commandments. Um, but that kind of, we, we spoke about it last time, but I just wanted to um, go over that again briefly. So, um, Different and 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 the some of the Protestant traditions they'll also count it differently as well. So there are many different ways to count them, but there's ten. So it says, and God spoke all these words, saying, "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image." So that was the first commandment. Right now, this is the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a, a, a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So now is the, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And now the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your strangers, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay. So that was the first four commandments. And we said there was something unique about the first four commandments compared to the last six commandments. Do you remember what they are? What is the characteristic of the first four commandments? And what is the characteristic of the last six commandments? First four, the commandments in relation to God, and the last six are to our neighbor. Good, right? So the first four commandments, remember what were they? But we should not worship any other God. We should not make any graven images or carved images of God. Um, we should not take the name of the Lord in vain. And we should um, keep the Sabbath day holy, right? Those four commandments, they're all related to directly our relationship with God of how we should be dealing with God, right? The, the last six commandments are not dealing directly with our relationship with God, but dealing with our relationship with each other. And it says something. Like actually, when 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 someone asked the Lord, or when when the Lord asked, what are the two most important commandments? And a person says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." That these are like the top two commandments because this is actually sums up the entire law. The entire Ten Commandments is about loving God and loving your neighbor. There's actually like a meditation, although it's not. It, we don't necessarily know if this is the case, but. There's a meditation that says that the two tablets of the commandments, that one of the tablets had the first four commandments and the second tablet had the, the last six commandments, essentially like breaking them up into those two groups, right? The, the laws regarding God and the laws regarding man, okay? So now this is the fifth commandment, okay? Which is the first one related to the relationship um, between human beings okay and the very first one relationship between human beings is honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the lord your god is giving you okay so what do you see that's unique about this commandment compared to everything else there's something unique about this commandment that is that is different than every other of the commandments there's a promise to it to there's a promise Good, right? He didn't just say honor your father and mother, but he said honor your father and mother, and then that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And this land that the Lord your God is giving you is the promised land, okay, that he was going to give to the people. Um, what are some ways that this commandment was applied in, 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 in Israel, okay? Um, so for instance, in the very next chapter, God says this, he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. 
He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. So if someone strikes his father or mother, shall be put to death. If someone curses their father or mother, um, they shall surely be put to death. Okay, what else? In Deuteronomy 21, it says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of his city. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and, and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. This is what is going to happen when someone is rebellious against their parents, is that they would be stoned. Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. Okay? Um, so we see that the standard of obedience that God required of children to their parents was extremely high. Extremely high. Like to where if you mistreated your parents, if you cursed your parents, if you struck your parents, if you disobeyed your parents, then you would have, you know, these very, very serious consequences. Okay? And maybe in our society today, this sounds very foreign to us because we expect that children are disobedient. We expect that children are rebellious. We expect that children are going to curse their parents. We, we expect to see this. It doesn't mean that we accept it or that we, we, we approve of it, but we're not shocked when it happens because we see it everywhere and so often. And a reason we see it so often is because the spirit of rebellion has been injected into our society. And, and we do not, as a society, we do not think from the perspective of, no, I have to train my child, like like many parents will train their children in a lot of things, like they'll train them in educational matters, like ac academics, you know. Um, uh, but but when it comes to training them to be obedient, right? Maybe a lot of times we uh, we allow our children to be disobedient and disrespectful, and we don't try to stop it or change it or teach, right? What is the reason why the relationship between the parents and the children is so critical that God would make a reward for, for when you respect your parents and such a, a heavy uh, like consequence when you do not? same symbol but with a with a different way that when we obey God we go to heaven mm. so and we not when we are not obey God we we going to hell so same thing so if we not obey father and mother we're not gonna obey God very good so my obedience to my father or mother is uh, indicative of and symbolic of my uh, obedience to God because if I cannot obey my parents how is it that I'm going to obey God? If I cannot obey my parents whom I see in front of me as physical people that I can see with my eyes, how is it that I'm going to obey God who is invisible, right? So definitely the, 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 the parallel between obe obeying parents and obeying God is definitely there. What, what else?
Yeah, so the parents kind of like um, are representing, like the love of the parents is a representative of the love of God. Actually, God gives us parents as a sign of love to us because we could not live, you know, if we didn't have parents. If, we, if you didn't have someone to take care of you, right, when you were, you know, helpless and young, like we couldn't survive. So, so, so God is showing love to us through our parents, okay? And so if we reject the parents, we are rejecting God. We are rejecting the love of God, right, to us when we reject the, the, the parents. Um, the, the, you know, the, the pattern or the, the, the thing that always happens every generation is what? That every generation believes that and they understand and they know and they know better than the previous generations. And they are not in need of correction or rebuke or guidance. They know what is right and we often maybe look to the things that our parents had told us to do or not to do, maybe with contempt or looking down at it. And maybe, maybe much, much later when we were older, we look back and we realize, you know, they were actually wise in, in what they were saying. So God gave us parents to help us from going astray. He gave us parents to help us to not just to, to live physically, like to survive, but he gave us parents so that we could make good choices. Now, I know there are cases where, you know, people do not have very wise parents, and maybe the parents did not do their service to their kids as they should. But the model of the family is that the parents having wisdom and having wisdom from God can impart that wisdom onto their children and to, to teach them, to train them in the way that they should go, right? And so in so doing this, right, the, the, the children will live. They will live, not just live as in they will survive, but they will live with wisdom. They will make good choices. They will live a full and abundant life because they will make good choices for themselves. This is why the, the family unit in Christianity is, is, is so critically important. Not just the church by itself. The church by itself is not enough to raise children. The church by itself is not enough to teach everyone everything that, that they need to know and understand about life, right? The family is where most people spend their time. The family is where children spend most of their days, right? And so the, the, the parents have the role of taking the principles of the church, the principles of the Bible, the principles of God, and then applying those in the family in a practical way that the children can then see it, learn, and then the church reinforces that, right? The church reinforces what the parents are teaching. But if you have parents that are neglecting the spiritual education of their children, there's very little that the church can do. The church is, is can, can, you know, cannot replace the parents. So we have such an important role to teach children to respect their parents. And respecting the parents is not because the parents, you know, they have this grandiose, prideful attitude where it's like, I want to be honored and I want you to treat me a certain way for my own ego. No, that's not what it's about. What it's about is you have people, again, who, who have wisdom, who have experience, who have knowledge, and you want the children to be able to benefit from all of that. And you want the children to be able to experience the love of God through the parents. So if the children are not respecting the parents, then it's a recipe for the disaster that we have now in our society, okay? Where, where every generation completely rejects the wisdom of the pre previous generation where every generation believes that they have every answer to every question and they don't even need to listen 
to anything that came before, right? This is why honoring the father and the mother as part of the family unit is very, very important. And that's why there was a promise with it, right? Um, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you, okay? Now, this does not mean, and I, as I alluded to before, that if the parents are not wise and if the parents are ungodly, that, that, that God is asking people to just, um, you know, unconditionally follow their parents into disaster, okay? Actually, in the, in the New Testament, Christ said in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Meaning that if any of those things, even my closest family members, even if my parents are actually an obstacle preventing me from, um, from being with God, separating me from God, then actually I am to hate them. Hate them doesn't mean like to, to, to attack them or hate them means to separate myself from them, like not to be influenced by them, okay? So even though, yes, God is saying honor your father and your mother, but at the same time, that is true when they are leading us to the kingdom of heaven, right? I am obeying them when they are leading me to the kingdom of heaven. But if they are, if they are teaching me against God, if they are leading me away from God, then that is um, a different. That's a different thing. Um, there's also a question about that comes up a lot. When is it appropriate in the life of a of a, of a child who is getting older, who has now become an adult? When is it appropriate for them? to now be making decisions on their own, even against the will of the parents. Because we say what? Like, obey your parents, obey your parents, honor your parents, okay? Um, that makes a lot of sense when the child is young, okay? And they're living in the household of their parents, and they're under the authority of their parents. What happens when the child is grown, okay? And an adult, and now is independent, making decisions on their own. How do you honor your parents in that context especially when they might disagree with the decision you want to make? This is a question. By praying? So let's say um, I have two job offers, okay? And my parents want me to take job A Maybe presumably because job A allows me to stay closer to them. But I think job B is the better job, even though it takes me further away, like maybe to another city or another state. So if my parents are telling me to take job A, and I don't want to take it, is that disrespecting of parents? You don't think so. Why is that? Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. 
this is uh, this is the right answer. So, yeah. So, so the 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 idea that um, God gives us each, uh, you know, the ability to make our own choices, and so the parents also, when their children are of age, they should also give them the freedom to make their own choices. It doesn't mean that we can't advise and guide, but in the end, the decision is theirs. And and this is not considered disobedience. Okay, this is this is a person is exercising their own free will, right? So just as God grants us the freedom to choose, we should also grant our adult children to choose for themselves. What is it that they think? It doesn't again. It doesn't. If they come to me asking for advice, or I can give them advice, I can give them, and I can try to urge them if I think that there is something they're not seeing. But in the end, I have to respect their choice, right? And I can't. This is not considered a disobedience if they don't do what what I want. Um, this is very challenging for parents because parents, you know, you grow up with your children and you're making all these decisions on behalf of your children and you're protecting your children and you're doing all these things for your children. And then at some point you have to let go of this. You have to let go of that feeling that I am the protector of my children. I'm the decision maker of my children that they will over time. Just that is what th actually that is what my role is. My role is to to raise these children so they do not need me really this is what parents are doing they are raising children so that they do not need them anymore and that they can function on their own and uh, parents who truly love their children will equip them to make good decisions instead of making decisions for them and this is why it's very wise actually to start doing this from a young age parents can for instance leave certain decisions up to the children uh, for their own not things that are like going to be harmful to them but small decisions at a level that they can handle to leave it up to them. Even if they make a wrong choice, they learn that they made a wrong choice. You know, maybe the consequence is something not that important, but they learn something negative is going to happen when I make a wrong choice. I have to think about the decision that I make, right? As parents, you know, we're always wanting to rush in and correct and rush in and save and protect and all that, which is out of love, right? But maybe there is a greater love and that greater love is how do I equip my children in order for them to be able to be independent one day and to live on their own and to make good choices by themselves. So it's important to understand. So, so in that, with that in mind, as adult children, how do you honor your parents? Very good, right? So so our relationship with our parents as adults is going to consist of asking about them, making sure their needs are met. Whatever that they're not able to do for themselves, we can help to do it for them and serve them just as they served us for many, many, many years. You know, um, a lot of times we, we forget our parents. We forget, you know, because they're kind of maybe living in another place or we assume that they can take care of themselves when they can't. Also, we 
we tend to downplay the emotional kind of needs that they have, like how much they enjoy when they see us. Maybe sometimes we have to go out of our way to see them. Maybe we sometimes we have to push ourselves and inconvenience ourselves to see them, not realizing that just seeing them or just calling them has such a, g a big impact on how they feel and feeling the feeling of like they feel loved and they feel like we remember them and so on. So all of this is about honoring our parents and serving our parents. Yes. Disobedient um, child. Disob disobedient adult? Yeah. Well, it's like it, uh, what I'm trying to say is that it's not about obedience. Like the honoring your parents is not about obedience as an adult. It's about service. It's about caring. It's about giving them according to their need. It's about asking for them. That is the way that we honor our parents as adults, not by obedience to certain things. Sixth commandment, very short. You shall not murder, okay? Um, what is, so we, we just said in the previous commandment, okay, that one of the consequences of not honoring your parents to striking them, to cursing them, to being rebellious against them was what? Stone. Being stoned. The children would be stoned, okay? But then here it says, do not murder. So how do we understand that? It doesn't say you shall not kill. Mm. So what is the difference between murder and killing? Murder is a type of killing, but murder is uh, like, it's like killing someone without uh, having the authority to do so. Okay. So there is a lawful killing and there is an unlawful killing. And who decides what is lawful and what is unlawful? It's supposed to be God. It's supposed to be God, yes. Um, so, so when he says here, do not murder, well, who is he talking about? Okay, innocent people, do not murder. People who are not guilty of anything. But people who are guilty, so anyone who is guilty, I can go kill them? No, so exactly. So even if, it, uh, if someone is guilty, like if you don't have the, you, just, you still don't have the authority to kill them. So not everyone has the authority, right? Not everyone has the authority to kill, okay? Um, but God gave certain commandments about what should be done to certain people when they do certain things, which can include killing, right? Leviticus chapter 20, it says the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Okay? And God made differentiation based on the type of killing or the type of, um, uh, like, like, the, like the type of the, of, the, of, the, of the murder that was done. It says what in, in Exodus 21, if a man acts with premeditation, against his neighbor to kill him by treachery you shall take him from my altar that he may die and then in exodus 31 work shall be done for six days but the seventh is the sabbath of rest holy to the lord whoever does any work on the sabbath day he shall surely be put to death leviticus 24 whoever blasphemes the name of the lord shall surely be put to death 
All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the strangers as well as him who was born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. Okay? So in the Old Testament, there were many, many different categories of things that would result in being put to death. And the Lord, even when he was giving punishments about uh, murder, he, he, he made a differentiation between premeditated murder versus murder based on uh, like, like something that happened in the heat of the moment. Okay, Just like as our modern legal system also does. right? There's a difference between a premeditated murder versus a murder that happened um, in the heat of the moment. There's a difference between um, homicide and manslaughter. Right? There's, there's, different, there's different rules and laws related to these things based on intent, okay? based on the circumstances and the situation. So when he says you shall not murder, it means you shall not kill unlawfully. You shall not kill in a, in a, in a means that God has not allowed for. There are certain things where God actually commands the people to kill. Actually, the whole nation of Israel was told when they enter into the promised land to kill everyone there. Right? And maybe with our like modern sensibilities, we look at that and kind of like don't know what to make of that because that sounds like very brutal. But in the end, God is the one who gives life and God knows each one. And if, if God says that someone's life should be taken, God knows the reason why. Actually, the these people, these pagan people that were living in the promised land, God was bringing judgment upon them for the way that they lived. And he chose that the people of Israel would be the ones to execute this um, judgment. He could have done it in any way. He could have sent a plague. He could have sent an earthquake. He could have sent fire from heaven. He could send anything in any way that he wanted. If he wanted, chose to end the life of a certain person or a certain group of people. But he chose to, 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 to tell the Israelites that they would be the ones to execute this judgment. In the New Testament, not only is there still the idea of murder, but there is the spiritual murder. Okay, In 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Because the New Testament, in the fulfillment of the law, made us to understand the true nature of the law. The Old Testament was regulating external actions, right? External actions, like murder is an external action, something that I do outside of myself. But in the New Testament, the New Testament, the, the law of God is not just regulating the external action, but regulating the internal action. What is my intention towards someone? That if I simply hate someone and desire to kill him, that, that this is equivalent to murder. This is equivalent to killing. Which is why when we confess, we confess not only our external actions, but we confess our thoughts. We confess our desires and what it is that I want to do. And that maybe feelings of hatred or feelings of lust. You know, even when he said that when you lust for someone, it is like adultery. Right? So in the Old Testament, the adulterers were punished by stoning. Right? But in the New Testament, there's a spiritual adultery, which is lust. So God here is saying... You cannot take it upon yourself to have authority to kill whomever you please, right? So there is such on there is such what God considered to be the lawful killing according to his his law and his command, and then there is the unlawful, 
Okay? The unlawful, which is murder. Yes. How does that translate now when God isn't the one setting the laws on who should be killed and not killed? So he says, follow the law of the land. Because God gave the government the authority to decide what is lawful or unlawful. Right? So whenever the government decides this, then we live according to that system. So that's this is why the church is not against the idea of capital punishment. You and I spoke about this before, right? Because if the government decides that capital punishment is appropriate, right, then we are saying we are, we are, we are supporting whatever the government um, establishes as being the law for, for punishment of criminals, okay? I can read for you the verse. Let me, let me oh find I it. I know, I know. It's no, but I think other people want to hear it now. <laughs> No, but I feel like that's such a weird line because we don't all, we don't agree with everything that's lawful in our country. And so why is this law or okay? Right? Just because the country says, "Hey, this is lawful," doesn't mean we're just like, "Yeah, we support that." So God is not saying that we believe that human beings do everything right. He's not. And there are certainly things that he tells us that we should not do at any time, even if the government commands it. But this is not one of them. And I'm going to tell you. This is in Romans 13. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now think about that. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Even the authorities that are sinful. Even the authorities that break God's command. The authorities that, e that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now again, if the government asks us to do something sinful, we don't do it. Because God's command supersedes the government's law. Okay? But when it comes to the authority of the government to, um, to, to bring justice, okay? for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So if the government is appointed by God, and that God gave the government the authority to execute those who are evil, okay? So, so it's God has given the government the authority to set the system of justice, okay? And that's why we submit to it even if it is not what we would have chosen. But, and, and, and even though there are, yes, a great many things that if the government tells us that we would do, then we would stand up to it and we say, no, we are not doing this because it's against the, God, the command of God. But specifically this was given to the government by God to set it according to its economy. 
Cyril, do you have a question before? Oh, okay. literal or is there a, like a a, f a figurative yeah is there like a figurative side to it and you already spoke about spiritual murder okay yeah, yeah. yes so in this case where you say appointed by god is that considered god's plan or god allowed it and then the other part of my question so we have to follow the authority unless it's a sin that it would call to do but what if things like you know, a, a, a terrorist government or a Taliban government that's not necessarily like maybe persecuting Christians, but not necessarily forcing them to do anything sinful, but just being unfair. So in that scenario, what what are we, are we called to follow or are we call or can we ask for justice? Certainly there are governments that are more just than others and more fair than others and more godly than others. And even though there is no government that is perfect, we can conceive of one that is much closer to the commands of God and the, the system of government we would expect from, from God himself as compared to another. So I would say that let's say you were living in Afghanistan, okay? You would do your best to follow the law, right? It doesn't mean that you agree that, you know, if somebody does the most minor offense that they were going to be killed. It doesn't mean that you agree with that. Um, but whatever the laws are, you follow them. And however God is going to judge the government, he will judge them according to his own, you know, his own rules. He's going to judge them according to how he sees them. It is not up for us to judge them. It is up for us to submit. But submission doesn't mean agreement. You see the difference like even in America for instance as a democracy we, we protest about everything all day long right you can protest you can say no I don't think this should be the law I think the law should be should be changed but while it is the law we follow it and this is one of the big problems that we have in our country is people feel that because they feel like something is unjust that I am free to simply discard it I'm free to simply ignore it because I don't agree with it if you take that to a logical conclusion, then there will be utter chaos because no one is ever going to agree about everything in the law. So we shouldn't make everything to be political. Even if I completely disagree with this administration and how they're doing things and the laws that they're making and all that, I'm still called to submit to it. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't work to change it. It doesn't mean that I can't try to vote people in the government that I think are going to make laws that I think are, are better. But while these are the laws, these are the laws and we follow them. I mean, saying that, saying that something is God's will has a lot of different meanings behind it, right? It is not God's will that we ever sinned in the Garden of Eden. So absolutely every event that's happened since then is not really what God intended, right? Like, it, w w if I were to say it's God's will, don't take that to mean that this is the foreordained way that it had to be. No. God never wanted us to sin at all. God wanted us to be in paradise. He didn't want us to suffer all this that we're suffering. So it's not like God has in his mind that this specific government has to be here at this specific time. But 
God allows, given the circumstances, given our weaknesses, given our sin, given the, you know, the corruption that is in the world, God allows certain things to kind of happen a certain way. And that's why even in the Old Testament, there were many prophecies about the, the empires that were to come because God knew that those would, those would be there and God is allowing them to have power. But, it, when I, but don't consider when I say that it's God's will to mean that it's God's perfect will. It's not like this is the way God wanted it to be from the beginning. But this is God's permissive will that he's allowing it to be this way given the circumstances. Okay. Did you have? Yes. Death penalty? Mm-hmm. Well, because what this is saying here is he says what? Um, for he, referring to the government, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. What does the sword mean? The sword is used to do what? To kill. Okay. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So according to God, he gives the authority to the government that if they so choose even to kill for the sake of justice, that this is within their authority. Yeah. Yes. I may be going in a circle, but uh, so if the law of the government contradicts the teachings of the church, are we we're not called to submit are we called to submit uh, no if it if it if it's something that is against god's commandment just like saint peter said we we obey god rather than men okay but sometimes people twist what would be considered god's commandment to get out of having to obey the government like some people might say that paying such a percentage of taxes is it's like slavery, and, and God hates slavery and doesn't want people to be oppressed, so we shouldn't pay high taxes. Like someone might, like people can try to take anything and make it to be like God's, uh, God's will is being violated. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that if the government came and said to the church, you must practice homosexual marriage, we would say no, we will not, even if it's a law, Right? That's, see how that's, that's a clear-cut violation of God's law. Okay? Yeah. Um, this is a thought from, I guess, some news articles I saw before, and I always, like, questioned how this would apply spiritually, at least. Uh, what about cases where, let like, the, uh, the situation I'm thinking about, there was a father who was being tried a couple of years ago, um he found out that her um his daughter's boyfriend raped her and he obviously wasn't there when it happened but as soon as he found out he went and killed him so in that sense like obviously he went to court it was like a huge case i don't know if anybody remembers his case i think he was here in texas but like in a case like that where like let's say someone horribly crosses a loved one of yours and you find out about it not knowing whether or not they're going to plot to do something like that again or if it was a one-time thing they did it but out of your rage because of your loved one being affected you go and kill this person now obviously there's going to be like different earthly laws that you'll be going to court but in the case like for that father like from a spiritual aspect would 
I guess, like, would the church frown upon him committing that murder? Yes, because as much as what was done to his daughter was unlawful, but what he is also doing is unlawful. And there exists a system of justice where if you go through that system of justice, hopefully it would, it would find that this person is guilty and they would get whatever punishment they deserve for what they did. You know? So you can't, you can't correct a sin but with another sin. Yeah. So, so the church would see that as being, no, that's not. You know, th that's why when the Lord speaks about what? We do not practice eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Right? Because it's not, just because someone did it to me doesn't make it lawful for me to do it to him. But, again, there exists a system of justice in the world that we appeal to and we go to and we say, hey, this happened, give me justice. And whatever the outcome of that is, that's, that's what we accept. Okay? Any other? Yes. So I want to ask a question both on YouTube and Facebook. Well, this There's is controversial now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they want to make sure they're getting. Okay. There is sin leading to death, and there is sin not leading to death. Are there sins a person can commit that will not earn the penalty of eternal death, and other sins that will? The Catholic Church, they believe in a distinction between sins which are called venial sins versus mortal sins in the Catholic Church. Mortal sins are sins that lead to death. And venial sins, they consider to be sins that do not lead to death. But we do not accept this distinction. In the end, we are not the judge, right? Can I, if you ask me, like, okay, um, there's a certain number of sins that you committed um, and you, know, you didn't confess them before you died. How is God going to deal with that? How is he going to judge that person? Um, uh, there are sins that you committed a year ago versus a week ago. Um, how is God going to judge that person? Um, you didn't get a chance to confess your sin or there is this one specific sin that you didn't confess when you have the opportunity to. How is God going to judge that person? I don't know the answer to any of those questions, right? Because I am not the judge. If you think about it this way, you know, you have these court cases uh, in the world and, and at the end, when it's time for the judgment, everyone is sitting there watching uh, and doesn't know what the judge is going to say, Right? Who knows what the judge is going to say? Only the judge, right? He's the one who considered all of the evidence. He's the one who knows all of the laws. He's the one who, who has the experience with being a judge, and he's going to give some judgment, okay? And only the judge knows what he is going to say in the end. No one else can predict, right? And that's for the simplest situations of earthly court cases. How much more complex is it to judge the life of a human being with all of the complexities of the person's intention, the person's knowledge, the person's experience, the, like the opportunities the person had or didn't have, you know? Who of us can begin to even judge, right? So, so this is why, like, in the church, we, we don't, we don't um, preach certainties, right? We, we, we don't preach about certainties. In the end, we preach repentance. Repent. Repent as often as you can. Confess as often as you can. And we believe in the mercy of God. We believe in the goodness of God. But to say specifically, like, okay, for this specific sin, what is the outcome? And for this specific sin, what is the outcome? There's no answer to that. Um, so I don't want to mislead anyone by, by claiming that we have an answer. We don't have an answer. All, all we know is if a sin comes to my mind that I committed, 
repent of that sin, confess that sin, and it will be erased. If there is a sin does not come to my mind that I even forgot about, this is why we ask God to forgive us for the sins that we have committed knowingly and unknowingly and willingly and unwillingly. So we're asking God to forgive us of every sin, whether we did it intentionally or not, whether we remember it or not, whether it was big or small, regardless of what it is. And in the end, we, we place ourselves at the mercy of God and we say, God, accept my spirit. In the end, he is the judge. He, he will do as he sees appropriate, right? And so I cannot predict what the judge will do and I cannot claim to have that knowledge. No. Was there another one? Oh, that was a, okay. Any other questions? It was good, I like it. it's good. You shall not commit adultery. Which commandment is this? Seventh commandment, good. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, it says, flee sexual immorality for every sin that a man does is outside his body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Every sin that a man commit that a man does is outside his body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What does that mean and why is that important? Because we are the temples of God. Because we are made in the image of God. So sexual immorality defiles the temple of God. We are the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. Right? So we are defiling this place. Imagine someone comes into the church with spray paint, and they spray paint the whole church. And, 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 and they're specific, like as a blasphemy against God. They vandalize the church. You know, we look at that, and it's offensive. We say, like, this is an attack on God. This is something, like, against God because they are doing this, right? So what, what, what St. Paul is saying here is every other sin that I do is outside of myself. But the sin of sexual immorality is like self-defiling. It is harming my own self. This is why when people say, like, what's wrong with you know, having sexual relationships outside of marriage, I'm not hurting anyone, um, you know, why is it wrong? It, it's not wrong because you're hurting someone else. You are defiling yourself, the place where the Holy Spirit dwells, because this is against the commandment of God. Remember, our bodies do not belong to us. You know, like, because we believe, or sometimes we think, or we act like, our bodies belong to us, I feel like I am free to do with it whatever I want, right? That I'm free to do with it whatever I want. This is why in the church we, we say that suicide is a sin because your life does not belong to you for you to decide to take it, right? So just as that is the case, any, any harm that we do to our body is a sin because this is the temple of God, that this is a, a gift that God has given us that he wants us to use in the right way. The idea of adultery is equated with, in many places, idol worship. When God is speaking about um, his relationship to the people, he says that he is what? He is the bridegroom, and we are the bride. It is a marriage 
relationship between us and God. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. Okay. And so whenever the Israelites, whenever they would go and worship other gods and worship idols, the Lord took it as adultery, right? In Jeremiah chapter 3, it says, Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. The harlot, adultery, all these images, because they are worshiping idols. They are going after other gods. Okay? So committing adultery here has, this, has like a spiritual context in terms of like the church and God as a whole. Okay? But committing adultery is also uh, defilement against my own body because of sexual immorality. Committing adultery is also the breaking of a marriage vow. Okay? For someone who is married and breaking that vow. Going back to what we said for the fifth commandment about honoring your father and your mother and the importance of the family, okay? The, the, the rise of sexual immorality is one of the causes of the destruction of the family, okay? The, the, I, the idea that, that like sexuality is primarily a selfish activity. Sexuality is about my pleasure. That's not the way that God made sexuality. Because if, if sexuality was made for my pleasure, then God would allow sexuality all the time. But the reasons that God confined the, the use of sexuality and, and the sexual relationship to the confines of marriage says something very important. It means that this is intended to keep the family together. This is intended as a special thing that can only be practiced in the context of that relationship and within that family. Okay. So, so because the world has turned sexuality and, and sex into um, a primarily selfish activity, which is about my own pleasure, and that I seek it for my own reasons, for my own pleasure at any time, it loses its original value, which is to keep the family, like, like to keep this relationship between the husband and wife together, right? As a special act of intimacy between them that is confined to that, that cannot be practiced outside of that at all, in any way. So, so the cheapening of that, the sacrilege of that, is one of the reasons why the family is destroyed, right? And again, this all goes to the devil's plan, is destroy the family, and you destroy the people of God. Because the family is, the, is, the, is, 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 is what God created to be the place where Children are, are raised in the fear of God. The church is, is insufficient by itself to do that without the family. So, so, so one more way that God is trying to protect the sanctity of the family is saying anything that defiles this relationship between the husband and the wife is, 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 is a very serious sin. You shall not commit adultery because this destroys the family. In the book of, uh, I believe it's, Malachi, um, when he's speaking about why is it that God makes the man and the woman one, right, in this sexual relationship, he says, because he wants godly offspring, right, because he wants godly offspring. The, the direct consequence of the, the idea of not committing adultery, of maintaining the sexual relationship within the confines of, of the marriage results in offspring that then are the responsibility of these two parents to raise them in the family 
and to teach them and to train them in a godly in a godly life, right? Again, if sexuality is only about my personal pleasure, then there is no um, responsibility associated with it, right? And so people do not pursue it for the sake of like, yes, I want to have a family and I want to raise these children in the right way and all of that, right? Like nowadays, that has become far, far less than it used to be. Many, many more people decide that they don't even want to get married and, and that the whole family unit is kind of dissolved. To, and, and of course, there's the whole redefining of what a family even means um, and what even a man and a woman means, right? All of these are to attack the family, right? So if you ask yourself, like from a Christian perspective, why is it that all these things are happening? All of these things are happening because the devil wants to destroy the family. And the more messed up you can make the family, the more he can dissolve the family, the less chance there is for there even to be a generation that knows God at all because who will teach it to them? Who, who, will, who will teach it to them, right? Because the focus is all on me and not the focus on what is my responsibility before God even in a relationship. Yes. So in, in that sense, what is the church's view on uh, contraceptives? So the, the view of contraceptives is we believe that um, after an egg is fertilized, that it is a human being. So anything that disrupts the birth from the time of a fertilized egg, we consider it to be abortion and it's a sin. But anything that prevents fertilization of the egg is fine. Because at that point, you're not, you're not destroying... You're not destroying a human being who, who is alive. Can, uh, can it not be said that in that case uh, it is about pleasure then? If uh, that act isn't m being used to, uh, uh, to reproduce? The, when I sexuality is pleasuring, but what I mean by, I, what I mean it's not about pleasure. What I mean is that it is designed to be, in addition to procreation, pleasure among the two together as a selfless act, not as a selfish act, right? So when, when, someone, when someone is seeking like the pleasure of sexuality by themselves outside of marriage, it is a selfish act because I'm doing it simply because I want to have this experience, right? But when it's done in the context of marriage, it actually um, brings the two people closer together and actually increases the intimacy between them and makes the relationship between them stronger. So it actually has the purpose, has the effect of improving the family relationship rather than destroying the family relationship. So when I say pleasure, I don't mean that, um, I don't mean that God did not intend for sexuality to be pleasuring and pleasurable among the two, the man and the woman. What I'm saying is that it is possible for someone to pursue it in a completely selfish way only for the sake of pleasure, but it actually has the effect of destroying the family. Eighth commandment, you shall not steal. It's pretty straightforward. Um, why do you think God said this? Don't take what's not yours. Which means that what? That there are certain things that God bestows upon individuals. Like w we believe that everything that we have comes from God. Everything is a bl blessing that comes from God. Right, St. Paul said, what is it that you have that you have not received? So everything that we have, even though maybe I worked hard for it and maybe I made money and all that stuff, but it's a blessing from God. God has given it to me, right? And so each of us has something. 
each of us has some things that God has given unto us. And he wants that if we are to share it with someone else, that we are sh to share it out of our own will. Right? You know, like what's the difference between charity and socialism? One is forced and one is voluntary. Right? Like, like socialism is someone is going to take my things from me and distribute it to others. Whereas charity is I willfully, out of my love for others, choose to give it to them. And that's actually how the church was at the very beginning, like in the book of Acts. It says everyone would bring all of their possessions and they would lay it at the feet of the apostles and they would distribute it to all those people who are like these early Christians who are in need, right? So stealing, okay, is taking what God has gifted to someone else. Like God wants me, if God has allowed me to be poor, okay, then stealing is not the answer, right? God did not allow me to be poor because God neglected me or because he didn't know that I need something, right? God will provide for me in some way. And actually, the, 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 the poor are blessed by the rich and the rich are blessed by the poor, right? The poor are blessed by the rich because the rich can give charitable um, donations and, and give to for the needs of the poor. And the rich are blessed by the poor because they receive blessing from God when they give up the things that they have in order to share it with other people. So stealing, again, it, it, it stealing shows that a person does not have faith in God to be cared for by him, right? Instead, it's an attempt to take care of myself by my own means against the commandment of God. It's like kind of goes to what we were talking about um, keeping the Sabbath holy. Those people who, instead of not working on the Sabbath to collect the manna, believing that God would not provide for them, tried to collect sa more manna because they didn't believe that God would take care for them. What happened to the extra manna they collected? Right, it would rot. Okay, uh, or if they if they if they tried to go collect manna on the Sabbath, it would rot. They co or there wasn't actually manna. Right, so everything that God did was to show that He was the one taking care of them. And so if I find myself in a situation, right, where um, I am in need, who do I turn to? I turn to God, right? I don't, I don't resort to theft or to stealing. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What is that? Don't lie, okay? Specifically, don't lie that would hurt someone else, apparently. Yeah, do not say something false about someone else, okay? But in general, the idea of lying in general. Um, we live in such a society now, not only that we say do not lie, but we don't even know what it means to be true. Like, we don't even have a definition of truth anymore. What, nobody even tries to be truthful anymore. There is no attempt to be truthful. There's no like standard baseline of truth and then every once in a while somebody deviates from that baseline and lies and then we catch them and say, oh no, you're saying lies. You should say the truth. The, the kind of the, the way that people live now, um, there's like the truth is just irrelevant. All that matters is I say whatever gets me the most, whatever furthers my cause the most and people feel that as long as something is benefiting them, then it's valid and it's justified. And I can say and do whatever because it's benefiting me, right? 
And oftentimes, when we tell the truth, we lose. You know? One of the reasons people lie is because if they say the truth, they're going to lose. They're going to lose something. They're going to lose a promotion. They're going to get in trouble with someone, their spouse, their parents, their siblings, their, you know, their coworkers. There's always a reason to lie. There's always a benefit to lying because that's why people do it. If there was no benefit to lying, it wouldn't happen. The reason it's everywhere is because there's a benefit to it. So we as Christians, in order to um, not get caught up in this sea of lies that we are surrounded in, should not be asking ourselves the question of, you know, is it, is it beneficial to me or not? The question we should be asking is, is it true or not? And whatever happens, happens. Whatever happens, happens. Because our whole faith is built on the idea of following the truth, right? God cannot lie, and God is the truth. And the Lord said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we cannot worship him except in truth. And we cannot be in him except with truth and in truth. So the, the, the question that maybe comes to our mind when I have the opportunity to lie of, you know, should I, should I tell the truth, should I not tell the truth, is often like tied up within the idea of what, I what will benefit me. Accept the consequence of telling the truth. Accept it. Accept what, whatever comes, even if we don't achieve even if we don't reach what we want to reach, God will compensate us for being truthful in some other way. God knows that we live in a place where it's very hard to always be truthful. God will compensate us with his blessing in a way that we don't expect because we were truthful. Accept blame. Accept that people would know the truth. Don't hide yourself, right? It doesn't mean don't have privacy. It doesn't mean that there are some things that are not private. But when you are questioned about something that you have done, when you are questioned about something that you can either say the truth and maybe not get a positive response or lie and get a positive response, just say the truth, right? This is for our sake. That's one thing about these Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments are not just laws. They are like a recipe for success. And success doesn't just mean like financial success. Success means that we are spiritually healthy that we are emotionally healthy, that we are mentally healthy, that, that, that it is through God's law, like, like we are like, if you think of us, like we are machines that God built and there is like uh, instruction manual of how is it that we should be operated, right? That if, you, if we operate a certain way, then we will, um, we will function correctly. And if we do not operate the correct way, then we will break down and we become dysfunctional, right? This is what God is saying. He's saying human beings are made that you will be the most successful when you follow these Ten Commandments. Even if it doesn't seem like it. Even, even if there's times where we feel like it's actually going to make me to lose, but actually we always win. So, so God is the one who, who gives us success. It is not human beings. God is the one who gives us success. If you are honest and truthful in everything that you do, you will find that God responds um, and, and blesses you in, in some way. Is there a question? Yeah. Father, uh, the question that I have is, uh, given the political circumstances of the last couple of years, um, and the questions that have been asked throughout today's um, 
session we uh, or Bible study, uh, people are asking what is truth is uh, and the question that I have is is what is truthful is the what the most powerful claim to be true because they are the ones that are writing the history and whatnot that's the claim of that's uh, I, I think that's the philosophy that we reached right now it's not about um, the philosophers of old they are always saying what is powerful is what's true is is um, is what's truthful is because do we believe in God that he is the truth because he is all powerful yeah so we can speak about I know we're over time but I'll just try to answer this so we can speak about three theories of truth the first theory is called the correspondence theory of truth the second one is called the coherence theory of truth and the third one is called the pragmatic theory of truth the correspondence theory of truth is the common one that you would expect that everyone would have, which is that something is true if it corresponds to reality. So when we say we believe in God, we believe that there is objectively a real being called God, that we call God, who, who exists. And we believe that the Bible is actually his words that he wants us to read. So when we consider if something is right or wrong, we refer to his words and we say this is what the real, true, existent God tells us to do and this is why we choose to live this way right the correspondence theory of truth you know if it's raining outside then i say it's raining that means it's true if i say it's not raining it's false that's correspondence because it corresponds to reality the a lot of modern religions and christians they do not take religion to be about the correspondence theory of truth they consider that religion is about what makes me feel good about myself okay which, which that would be considered the pragmatic theory of truth. Something is true if it's useful, right? Politicians are all about the pragmatic theory of truth. They will say whatever is useful, whatever will get them the most votes, whatever makes me feel the best about myself, that's what's true. And that's why people who are pragmatic Christians, all right, are really about, I'm going to take a little bit of this, and I'm going to take a little bit of this, and I'm going to take a little bit of this, maybe even from different religions, or there are certain areas of Christianity I don't really like what, what Christ said about this, or I don't like what St. Paul said about this, so I'm going to discard it, and I'm going to take whatever is left that I like, and that's going to be my religion, because it's not about correspondence to whether it's true or not. It's about if it's pragmatic to me, if it works for me, if it makes me feel good about myself, if it gets me where I want to go, that's true, and that's what I should do, okay? The last one is the coherence theory of truth, and all that theory says is that any set of statements are true if they don't contradict one another, but they have no bearing on corresponding to reality. So you don't, it doesn't have to be objectively true in reality, but as long as all the statements that I say do not s are, are self-coherent and do not contradict one another, then that is a system of truth, okay? So people manipulate the truth. They say all kinds of things that are objectively lies while they are convinced that it is true because it is their twisted theory on understanding of what is the truth that they are abiding by, and now the correspondence theory of truth in the world is like almost non-existent. Maybe in science, but even in science, there are areas where it is, it is failing as well. Did I answer your question? <laughs> okay. Just, yeah. just one last. Is an excuse considered a lie? An excuse? What kind of excuse? It is, Mr. High. 
It's huh? a question on YouTube. It's, an ex it's just a question on YouTube. Is an excuse considered a lie? So, it, like if somebody tells me, hey, do you want to come to this thing? And I say, no, I can't because I'm busy doing such and such um, when I'm not actually busy doing that. Um, yes, that's a, that's a lie. Okay. Um, there are times when, so some lies, we, we say them because we want to protect ourselves. Right? Like if I did something wrong and I want to hide the fact that I did something wrong, so when someone is asking me about it, I might lie to protect myself. It's a selfish motive for lying. Okay? There are other times where we're tempted to lie because we want to spare the feelings of another person. Like someone says, hey, how do I look? Uh, and then you're like, you look great. Um, we don't want to say, you know, even if we, you know, know that if, if my opinion is such that um, it's going to hurt the feelings of the other person, we don't want to say that, right? So when it comes to things like subjective things like that, okay, I mean, try to be nice, you know, without lying, but at the same time, sometimes if we were brutally honest with something, it might hurt the feelings of another person. But, but this, this is not bearing false witness. I mean, this is trying to spare the feelings of another person by not exposing 100% of my private thoughts, right? Um, because sometimes people will come and they'll say, like, well, there's something I don't want to share. Like, there's something private, and if somebody asks me about it, right, their response is something that's a lie, right? We shouldn't do that. Like, if somebody asks me, you know, like, like if somebody comes and asks me, how much money do you make? Well, I don't want to answer that question, right? So I shouldn't lie about it. Or somebody tells me, some, asks me something I don't want to share, I shouldn't lie about it. But there are other ways to get out of the question, like change the subject, make a joke, do something that kind of like redirects the focus from the question. Don't even answer the question, you know, like find some way out of it if you can. So as much as we can, even when it comes to those soft things, we should not just make up something that's completely wrong just to avoid getting out of something. Because even if you think it might be harmless, but it trains your mind that lying is a go-to for whenever I don't want to say the truth, right? Even if you think it might be harmless in this case, it trains your mind so that when there's something that actually is important, where you actually have a lot to lose, lying is easy. Lying just kind of comes out of your mouth, you know, at any opportunity. So be honest even in the things that are not important, okay? All right, that's a good stopping point for today. Um, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for allowing us to study your word and for giving us, O Lord, the Ten Commandments as a guide for us to live by. To know, O Lord, that if we follow these things, not only will be pleasing in your sight, but we will find joy, O Lord, and satisfaction and fulfillment because, O Lord, you made us to follow these commandments and you made us, O Lord, to be pleasing to you. We thank you, O God, because you have laid out for us the way that you have asked us to live and you made it clear for us, O Lord, how we should have a successful and fruitful life. We ask that you help us to fight against temptation that make us to deviate, O Lord, from these commandments and to be deceived by the world that is full of lies in so many ways that distract us from the truth and what is important. We thank you, O God, for your love and your mercy upon us. We ask that you forgive us our sins and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, 
Hear us as we pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. And also with your spirit. There's uh, games and snacks, I believe.